Welcome back to Tell Me About It. I'm your host, Jade Iovine, and as always, this week I got to sit down with an incredible woman to talk about the shittier parts of life that are often conveniently left off Instagram. The rejections, anxieties, mistakes, losses, insecurities, and heartbreaks that prove even the women we think have it all figured out also have lives that are far from perfect. So just a little TMI moment on TMAI. I'm having literally the worst period ever. It's like day two of my period. And I was just thinking this morning, like women are fucking incredible. Like the fact that we do everything that men do whilst bleeding or like more than men do often is honestly miraculous to me. So if you're feeling shitty about yourself today, just remember that you can do that. And just like women are superheroes. It's truly unbelievable because like I literally feel like death right now. This week, I was lucky enough to sit with TV personality and broadcast journalist Carrie Champion. Alongside her colleague, Jamel Hill, Carrie made history as the first black woman to host a late night cable news and information show, Carrie and Jamel Stick to Sports. She recently launched a new podcast presented by iHeartMedia called Naked with Carrie Champion, which launched last summer. She spent time reporting for the Tennis Channel, ESPN, and roles on SportsCenter, Sports Nation, and First Take. Carrie continues to break barriers, paving the way for younger women of color who want to pursue a career in sports television and other areas within broadcasting. In this episode, Carrie and I talked about what it was like to be a black woman in the 2000s trying to make a name for herself in the newsroom, the many challenges that came with her job at ESPN, and why she ultimately chose to leave. We talked about how she and Jamel Hill overcame others trying to pit them against each other, and why they didn't fall victim to the popular belief that there's only room for one. Carrie admitted to seeking male attention because her father wasn't around in her childhood. She talked about shame and how to shake it. And arguably, most importantly, why saying no is actually more important than saying yes. Carrie is refreshingly real and just so frank about all the challenges she's faced thus far in her life. And I know you're going to love this interview. And with no further ado, here is Carrie Champion. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Jade. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I really, really, really am excited about this. I know that you do a lot of fun things. I loved, I don't know if I should reveal this. I love my questionnaire. <laughs> oh, like, can good. I steal this from her? Yeah, I want to use yes. that same idea. <laughs> you can definitely steal it. Because oh, you have you. your own podcast called Naked Podcast, right? The yeah, Naked, I do. The Naked Show. <laughs> The Naked Show. I was going to come on naked. I just don't have a bra right now. So I, I was like, I'm close enough. You know? I like it. You have a Laker jersey on? <laughs> I do have a Laker jersey on. This is I I'm a hardcore Laker fan. This is so funny because it's personalized. So everyone's like, who's number one? Like, that's the number. And I'm like, it's me. Like me. It's, yeah, my, it's my favorite. <laughs> yes. I didn't realize that you're born and raised L.A., Pasadena. I am. I'm, so am I'm a I. rare bird. Are you really? Yes. You so there's so few of us. I feel I as know. if everyone moves to California and or LA more specifically. And then when you finally meet someone from that's from here, it's like let's connect and be friends. Yeah. I know. There are fewer and fewer of us, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. I so agree. I watched your Kobe uh, in keeping with the LA theme and the Lakers themed. I listened to your interview with Kobe. Yeah. Were you most nervous for that interview or like who have you been most nervous to interview? Yeah, no, that one was nerve-wracking like what an incredible thing to have every time I interview I've interviewed him twice but I'm always wow. nervous but that's because like he represents you know as you mentioned growing up here in LA he was here for as a player for 20 years and he represents uh, he narrated a lot of significant moments in my life totally. in terms of you know Laker parades and Lakers always playing well and winning mm -hmm. and he wanting to leave and the city was erupt and bringing the city together and Shaq versus Kobe it was mm -hmm. you know so there are all these moments that connect directly to Oh, I remember when I was in college, I bumped into him here or when I was when I was graduating this, you know, so, yes, I was extremely nervous. I think he and Magic Johnson ah. arguably uh, were the two people who made me the most nervous. But I usually settle. I settle. I get into it because I have to listen. So I settle after a while. I know it's so true. Like even when I was first starting this show, I would listen back and I'd be like, well, she just said that. And I, I asked a question that was completely off topic because when you're nervous, you can't be present. Yeah, no, they were like, I murdered 10 people. And I'm like, so anyway, what color <laughs> shoes are you wearing? So true. You're like, I just said I murdered people, Carrie. <laughs> Pay attention. Like, Fuck. Yeah. Oh, my bad. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really curious about your childhood in L.A. Can yeah. you kind of tell me about 
your childhood and just who you were as a kid? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up as as discussed. Uh, well, initially, we lived in West LA. So if anybody's listening, West LA is um, a cross between living in a nice area, but if you make a left, it's a not nice own area. So I was in between those two. It was just me and my mother, but we lived there specifically because my grandmother, her mother lived right around the corner and my mom worked all the time. So my mother needed childcare. So it right. was like she could easily have childcare. Someone would be watching me in theory. And I I think I lived in West LA until I was about 12 years old and my mother got a really, really, really good job for, for, you know, a woman who just had a GED, you know, barely graduated high school, which, you know, she got a job working for this company and it would make her go to Pasadena. She would drive mm. to Pasadena a lot. And she, now mind you, Pasadena is not far from West LA, but for, for my mom mm -hmm. who grew up in LA and South Central, that was a far drive. That seemed like a, an entirely different world. And um, traffic. And a traffic, the whole thing. Yes. Tra traffic yeah. still is a problem. Like, yeah. I feel like if I have to visit my friends down in Pasadena, I'm like, mm, what's the traffic does? Yeah, down? I see. This. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, it's too far, right? Too far. So we moved to Pasadena because my mother liked it so much. And I think that really changed the trajectory of my, my life because I made new friends. I lived in a different environment. I had different goals. I remember for a very long time that the environment that we were in in LA, I really had an idea of what life looked like for a lot of young brown women like myself. Mm -hmm. Like you get pregnant when you're 18, you, you then have a kid and then you work and mm -hmm. you know, I get to Pasadena and I'm exposed to so much. And it's not as if Pasadena is a different world, but just a different environment in terms of Absolutely. my friends. And it was smaller and a little more intimate and teachers were a little more invested. And that's all, you know, kids really need to have someone yeah. be a little invested. And so that just changed everything. And I, and I loved it. I flourished in a lot of ways. I was exposed to a lot of different things and it helped me really build my confidence in who I was as a kid and what I wanted to be. Are there any things that you did in your childhood that served you in your childhood, like as survival or defense mechanism or coping mechanism that no longer serve you as an adult or that you've had to work through as an adult? When I was a kid, what probably hasn't changed is just my natural curiosity. I ask a lot of questions. My mother, <laughs> as any kid does, I remember my mom would be like, can you stop, please, asking all the questions? It's too much. It's too early. Stop it. She's like, because I said so. Because I said so. I'm like, yeah. that's not the answer. Right. I need this answer. Like, I would follow her around the house with, like, a pen and paper. I'm like, no, but I need the answer. <laughs> and she would just look at me like, I, I can't take it. Yes. So that has never changed. That's mm -hmm. in school. I've never accepted whatever the answer is supposed to be. I'm just like, I want to go another layer. I want to know why that serves me well. And it also annoys everybody if you're not in the mood for it when you're a kid <laughs> and you, you seem like a know-it-all. But what, what I used to do was because I often found myself in environments where I was the only one, meaning I was the only Black person or I was not the you know, most sophisticated. I don't even think that's a word at the time for me. I just felt poor and I wasn't mm. poor, but I felt like I had less than. And so what I would do was try to fit in like as any kid would. So I would try to pretend like I knew what they were talking about when I had no idea what they were talking mm. about. I would overcompensate to try to fit in when obviously my best quality was standing out and just being myself, but I didn't know that then. And so I, you know, a lot of the things I would just try to, I'll give an example. I remember a young lady asked me, you know, where do you live? And she was like, cause I thought you lived in this poor neighborhood. It was a little girl, you know, kids are mean as hell. Oh, and uh, I was like, beyond. yeah, she was like, I thought you lived in this poor neighborhood by downtown LA where all the bums are. And I was just like, oh my God, no, I live. And I tried to explain as if my neighborhood was nicer than what it was, which it wasn't, but mm. I, I didn't live in downtown LA with the bums. But I remember specifically feeling like I had to defend right. how I was living as a child. And there was some shame associated with it as opposed yes. to- just telling a great story of, you know, how my mother worked really hard. And, and while my father right. wasn't around, she provided a great life and did the best she could, you know, with yeah. the resources she had. So Absolutely. those are things that I don't, I definitely don't try to fit in now. I never try to fit in. <laughs> no, I think, you know, we all go through a degree of that, but I think it's so different when you are the only one and are used to being the only one there. I mean, it's just such a natural 
inclination to want to make everyone think that you're normal and like them and like cover up everything. And it's like such a hard pattern to break because you're like, wait, who am I actually? You know, you look in the mirror one day and you're like, I've done all this contorting that I don't know who I am or what I want. And there's shame in the fact that you hit it even, let alone the shame in the actual like, <laughs> You know, so it's it's really multi-layered. When do you feel like you really were like, fuck this, I cannot try to assimilate anymore? Yesterday. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm like, we're always uh, working on it. Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a process because it's different things as as you develop in life and mm-hmm. as you get older and reach different, different uh, experience, different opportunities. I think I definitely struggled with it in college Mm -hmm. uh, for different reasons, right? Like I I felt like I wasn't the cute girl and I wasn't Mm -hmm. the popular girl and, Mm -hmm. and I was a nerd and I loved it. I mean, now that I look back on it, I'm like, thank God I wasn't a hoe. Right. Thank God you didn't peak. (laughs) Peaking in high school is not. (laughs) It's no fun. Like I, you know, I worked in sports and I, and sometimes I, you know, I would come across these athletes who would be like, you went to UCLA. I don't remember you. I'm like, praise the Lord. (laughs) It's true. Could have been a bad situation. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't get into respect of this damn business. Um, (laughs) I, I think I, I struggled with I'm not introverted, right? Mm. I'm, I'm not to myself, but I had a hard time trying to be cool and fit in with all the kids that were the cool kids. And so mm-hmm. I think in college, I started to just get really comfortable with being, you know, quote unquote, an only child and being by myself and having the crew that I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and arguably, but there's versions of that, of that, that struggle in every stage of my life. I think probably within the last five to seven years, I've become very comfortable with no, this is just who I am. Accept mm-hmm. it. My story is is my story and it's made me who I am and I have no shame. Like I'm not hiding my story because Brene Brown years ago my favorite said, person. Right? <laughs> She's just so like much. your secrets secrets have power yeah. and I don't want to give it any more power. So it's then so if you true. share what you're ashamed of or a secret, you release all of that power and you feel free. And you and find no one people. Can, I, yeah. And you find people mm-hmm. and no one can ever say, I knew this about you. I'm like, yep. I say it all the time, you know? So it's so true. Owning your story really is the kryptonite to like that perpetual shame. Yes. Yes. You have to, because no one can shame you. You're like, I'm not ashamed. Yeah. Yes. I slapped 10 people in the face one day because they made me mad. <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So you left home at 22, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good research. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, well, okay. So 18, I was at UCLA and I right. never so went I guess back. You, okay. But, yeah. But no, seriously, great research. But 22, I left LA and I was gone. Yeah. Okay. So what was your goal then? What was 22-year-old Carrie like? And what was she looking for? Uh, I packed up my Nissan. I, I love this. Like this was just yesterday. My Nissan Ultima. Mm-hmm. Someone corrected me because I had been calling it a Sentra. And mm. it's an Ultima. Excuse yes. you, everyone. <laughs> I had a din on the back and it was dusty and I put all my clothes in it. And I drove across country to be a reporter. And I was going to be Katie Couric. I was going to be Katie Couric. I was going to be the next. I want to cut my hair. And I went, because remember she used to have, I don't know if you remember, yep. she had a pixie cut. Yep. I used to wear a suit that I couldn't fit. That was too big for me. I was going to change the world. But I initially, you know, like, let's, like, representation matters. When I saw mm-hmm. Oprah on TV when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to do that. But Katie was just more relevant to me because she was a news reporter. So I thought her a news anchor. Okay. And uh, I wanted to tell stories and, 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 and I envisioned myself like sitting on uh, the White House lawn, standing mm-hmm. on the White House lawn, reporting on politics and how to change the world and, and covering local news was my way to do so. Like I was going to do that. And I had an awakening of all sorts when I finally landed in West Virginia. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> but it was... that, please. <laughs> well, We're not in Kansas well, anymore, so to speak. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, first of all, I had never lived anywhere where it snowed, right? So I remember when it got cold, I was like, "What? What is? What is this situation? (laughs) What are these? What's this white thing?" And then my my roommate put a ice picker on the front of my Nissan Altima because my windshield was frozen, and I was like, "What do you? What do you do with this?" Yeah. She's just looking at me like I'm crazy because she's from Ohio. Totally, I I don't. I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do with that either. (laughs) Yeah. 
It's a part of growing up in LA. Yes. Wah, 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 yes. Right. And so that was a different experience because it was very backwards. Like, and it wasn't that long in terms of years. It was like 2000 when I got the job and it was, it felt like I was driving back into history, into mm. a place in which people lived very differently. They still use the word colored and they didn't think anything was wrong with that. Like this is 2000. This is not 1818. That's crazy. Yeah. And I remember the mayor was like, oh my God, I want you to meet. I was interviewing the mayor, pothole, grand opening, who knows something was happening in our small town. And, and she was like, I want you to meet our colored lady. And I was like, okay. Oh like, my I, God. But she wasn't mean. She was smiling. She was sweet. She didn't mean anything like it. She didn't just mean just ignorant. I, yeah. I yeah. I remember t- and I remember calling my mom, telling her that story, and she laughed so hard. And she was like, "Oh, poor thing." Like my mother, we just thought it was funny because yeah. it wasn't from a place of evilness. It was right. just that's what they say. And I remember sharing that story with someone else who worked at my local news station, and they were like, "You've never been called colored." And I'm like, wow. I was like, get me the hell out of here. I gotta go. What is going on? <laughs> no, You're like, I'm it's out. 2000. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. Yes. Where are you people? But it was great because I learned, I'm, I'm going to be very honest. I learned mm. a lot about interacting with different people Yeah. And and storytelling. And I never ever had that ability to do that as, you know, an intern, you know, mm. I intern all these different places until you actually do the job that prepares you for the job. Interesting. So I'm curious, when you were in this job, did you feel more othered because of the color of your skin or because you're a woman? Where was there more representation? I think I knew early on in my career, a lot of the jobs I got was because they did have to fill a, a vacancy. They needed a black woman. Like right. some back in the day, they could say that. I need a black woman, you know, I need a, you could say, I need that. Uh, and they needed the diversity in the newsroom because of, if you look like where you live, West Virginia, you know, had a high population uh, and they mm-hmm. wanted to show representation. They realized that they had to do that. But I definitely felt that other, I never really, I never really felt like, oh, I'm a woman and that's a problem until right. I started working in sports. I was going to say, yeah, you probably I never, got that. Yeah. I didn't, it never, it never occurred to me that having a vagina was a problem. Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> no, you can say anything you want. So did you have just that one job in Virginia or did you do multiple reporting jobs? Because I want to get to I did. the yeah, job I had a that, bunch. Changed, that changed, that made you pivot. Yeah, no, I had a bunch. So I worked in West Virginia for a little under a year. I had to get out of there, but it was great. I was a one-man band. I carried my camera, my IT for real. I did it all. Yeah, I was like yeah. doing it all. There's just no way. Camera, tripod, sweaty face, horrible makeup. I, I mean, good grief. If someone could find those tapes, I would be Oh, mortified. my God. It, so, someone will, though. I, I wish, wish someone would. Because I was like, I, someone sent me a picture and I was like, well, who is that? Oh <laughs> my God. This- well, no, people don't realize like when you start in local news, like that's what you're doing. Yeah, you are. And you don't even know who you are and you mm-hmm. and you and you're 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 fulfilling an idea of what you think a person should look like. Right. It's so true. Those are your 20s. <laughs> Those. Yeah. Oh, God bless. I was just like, wear a suit, short hair. Katie Couric, sweaty face, you know, know, all that (laughs) stuff. Um, And then so I leave and I take a series of gigs, right? I I end up getting, and but my main, main gig, like when I finally start doing reporting full time where I could quote unquote pay my bills is when I became a weekend anchor and reporter in West Palm Beach, Florida, which was like, there's like 200 and some odd markets at the time that was like market 38. It was the number one station and it just Mm -hmm. changed my literally changed my career. And then I went to Atlanta and I got fired and rehired for cursing I want to talk about that. Yeah. Let's get to it. Can I we get it. into that? Favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite story. I love to share it. Please tell that story because it is amazing in every way. So now you look back on it. I thought my career was over. So I was, um, and this is, let me tell you how I went. It was, we were, it was a weekend anchor position and I was sitting with my co-anchor, his name is Michael Moore, and we were in commercial break. And I remember saying, that mother sucker, you know. Oh, so you actually said mother sucker, like with an S. 
by the way, that is a very common term. Black folks say it all the time. You guys, it's very popular now in today's vernacular. It's a podcast called Mother Sucker by yeah. Michael Blackson, right? So it's just a common thing you say when you don't want to curse. Totally. Commercial break, but it was really, really low. And so I remember, and it, social media wasn't as popular, but I remember a few people tweeting like, oh my God, Carrie just cursed on air. Like, Oh, so you, you were like it? talking shit to your co-anchor talking about, about someone else. Price- about job, about work, like okay, just cool. my bosses yeah. probably. Like, and you easy, thought you like, were on commercial break. We were, but my mic was still hot. Oh, Jesus. the mic is rule number one. The mic is always hot. Don't ever forget it. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good rule. That is a rule good rule number one. Yeah, it's all you go. I don't care. You go do an interview with anybody. You do this podcast. You yeah, do listening. The mic is always hot. I never ever not believe that. And I had to learn the hard way. But of course, I had a bunch of like seasoned journalists who were texting me. They were like, "The mic is always hot, Carrie." And I'm like, "Got oh, it." Jesus. And um, it became a big brouhaha locally in Atlanta because you couldn't really hear if I cursed. It definitely, I wasn't on camera. It wasn't like, I was like, welcome to the show, mother sucker. You know, it was like a commercial break and it was really low and you didn't know. It was, it was, it was just unclear whether or not I said it, but my boss didn't like me. So he fired me, Uh which makes sense. This was his window. You know, you get a window. This is the way I can get rid of her. And I remember hiring an attorney also having the support of the community in Atlanta, who they were just yeah. like, that's too-. It, I mean, it was a really popular story for whatever reasons and just how it hits. Yeah, because that's like, I mean, first of all, it's ridiculous to be fired for that. I feel like today you wouldn't be, right? Oh, no, my God, no. Okay, please. yeah. I, okay. I curse. People curse all the time. Yeah. Someone's like, shit, oh, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. It happens. It's a natural reaction sometimes. But totally. I laugh. I laughed because at, at that time I thought my career was over and I had a decent agent who was able to, he was like, look, Carrie's contract's up in like six months. Let's just take her back. This is becoming a bigger story. And then when her contract's over, you don't have to renew it. She just bring her back. Let's just get this over with. You know, it's too much. And cause they didn't like the pressure that they were receiving mm. um, in the community as well. And they, it, people were making it a color issue, which I didn't think it was. I just knew the guy didn't like me. And so I went back, got the job. Was it a white man who fired you just Absolutely. He couldn't stand me. He couldn't stand me for a lot of reasons. I'll Mm. tell you something about Atlanta for those who live. It's the South. Like there's Georgia and then there's Atlanta, but it's still the South. And there are these rules when you grow up there that I, as a California child, simply just did not know. No matter how progressive it seemed at the time, you're supposed to be in a place where you stay in your place. And right. as a black woman, I was very vocal. I was very loud. If I didn't like something, they would hear about it. I was really unaware of my blackness until I lived there. Mm, that was the first really- time I knew that I was a black woman in a world that did not respect my voice, nor did they want to hear it. And I had to learn the hard way. And that was a tough experience for me. That changed me. I mean, it changed my core, my literally my core belief. I was no longer naive to what the world was. I The, the veil had been lifted, if you will. And I always remember looking back on that because it was, I left in 2008, I believe. And at the time the world was changing too. Because President right, Obama was going to be, and President Obama got elected later mm, on. Like right. I, I left in April and he got elected and it was a big deal. I was unemployed for a very long time and I had a, and it was the recession and it was a lot going on. You're correct. And it just, it, it rocked me to my core. It made me think oh, I, I was going to ever work again. It really did. It was really yeah. sad. Well, I want to sit in that because I think even after COVID, a lot of people got laid off and just naturally in your twenties, you're going to go through that. And we talk about your twenties a lot in this show these transitions, but I think it feels like the whole world is looking at you. It feels like your world is over. It feels like Mm -hmm. everyone's Mm -hmm. paying attention to you. Everyone just watched you fall flat on your face. And like, how are you going to recover? What were the key factors in you being able to pick up the pieces again? And like, were you ever like, okay, I'm going to go into pottery or something like (laughs) not in the news anymore. You know what I mean? Like, did you think that you would ever return to reporting again? No. No, I no. you're right. It's early 30s. I thought it was the end of the world. And mm-hmm. you would Google me and it was like mother sucker champion, you know, Ugh. or I was like in the urban dictionary. I was like, no one's ever going to hire me. I was like, this is it. My career is over. No one's going to hire me. I remember working when I came back because I came back to California, head, head down. And I was so much, my identity was so much. I'm a reporter. I, mm-hmm. I lived in that. I love mm-hmm. that because that's what I had known for my, you know, my 20s. And now I'm like, I don't have a job, but I'll have a title. I'm nobody. I really didn't think I mattered because I didn't have a, I didn't have a job. I felt mm-hmm. like I didn't have any existence. Um, and that was my shield. 
So I worked as a telemarketer. Like I no really, way. I literally was selling new newspaper coupons just to make ends meet. This is like after I've quote unquote made it and had a job on TV and had right. a quote unquote name for myself. And I just took whatever job I could when I got back to LA. Cause I was just like, Hey, and I remember it was the hardest time in my life, a girlfriend. And it was also a recession. Mm-hmm. I was in debt up to my ears. I had $0. So I just had to take a job. I remember I would, all I could do on the days I wasn't, you know, hawking coupons to people. I was, I would just sit at a coffee shop with my girlfriend and we just have one coffee and we talk all day about what we wanted to do and what life looked like. Cause she was a real estate agent, but no one was buying houses. Right. So we were just, we were just talking about how broke we are and how hard it was. And I did not, I could not see a future for a while. Mm. And then I was still quote unquote working. I met this agent who wanted me, you know, so this is an LA story. He was like, you should of be course. an actress. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm an actress. <laughs> He's like, you should be an actress. I'm gonna start sending you out on stuff. And he starts sending me out on these little, these gigs. And I booked the very first one. I had wow. no experience. They wanted a reporter. And I was like, well, I can do that. Like, it was like, um, totally lie to me the show okay. was lie to me which is be and they were like i need a reporter and then it was csi type of show then it was all these different types of shows where they just needed people yeah and i was like okay and i was just booking all these gigs and i was like you just want me to be a reporter and then that gave me a little more confidence that i can still do it and then and then there was a job then i then there was a job at tennis channel that i was going to apply for mm. and i was like okay that's it that's what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to pivot and it wasn't an intentional pivot, but I knew local news didn't like me because I had cursed. And so I pivoted. I was like, I'm going to cover sports. They don't know me that well. They don't know who I am. I'm not mother sucker champion there. They'll wow. like me, you know? And so I totally. went to Tennis Channel and that's all she wrote. When I say being fired was the best thing that ever happened to my career, not only did it humble me and let me know that you should not be what you do, because so many of us to this day are what we do. Mm-hmm. I then learned that it really is about my character and who I am. And I have to stand tall and firm in the belief that I am Carrie Champion. Secondary, right. third dairy is everything else. The TV girl, the sports reporter, the host, whatever it is, none of that matters. I have to be able to walk in a room and have people love me for me. And that was a really hard lesson to learn and still learning. Absolutely. Did that kind of send you on a trajectory of self-discovery in so many ways? Like, were you like, okay, I have to build an identity aside from work, finally? What were the ways that you did that? Like, did you do therapy or was it mostly just pouring yourself into work? I wish I did therapy. That would have been great. I waited too late. But I, um, no, because building up my identity and who I was, was a lot of for me, it was a lot of quiet time and a mm. lot of soul searching and making sure that I was surrounded by people who loved me for just me, who didn't care what I did for a living and who didn't use me or feel like they wanted to say they knew me because I was the girl on TV, you know? Right. And and I just made sure I kept myself with really solid, wonderful people, mm-hmm. people who loved me, loved me, loved me. And then I remember thinking the pleaser was coming back out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I would, when I didn't have a job per se, the, the, the quality that you mentioned earlier that didn't serve me well was me trying to fit in and, and making up things to seem cooler. And I was mm-hmm. doing that for a very long time when I was unemployed mm-hmm. and it never served me because people can see through that. That's like, people can really see through that when you're pretending. And I think back now, I'm like, what an idiot. I was like, I know people knew I was full of shit, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> but you got to look that... back on yourself and think what an idiot a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm all like, God, dang, what was I yeah. you're a dummy. <laughs> God, you're a dummy. You know, a side note, I mentor a lot of young girls, you know, yes, for your like foundation, college, for my yeah. foundation. And I do feel that way about them sometimes. I'm like, God, what are they thinking? But then I, I just know. think about myself. <laughs> no, about it's myself. so true. I was, like, I was the same way. <laughs> I always like just wish I could have everyone that I've met in my 20s or even my high school erase their memory of me. And I'm like, no, no, no. Get to know me now. I'm totally different. I have changed. I promise. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm no longer humiliating. I need all that. I needed all that. Empathy. It, it taught me empathy. It taught me how to love people more. It taught me how to be more honest, you know, and not hide behind 
a, a, a title. Um, mm-hmm. And now I think if I had to do it all over again, I, I wouldn't change it, especially the firing. Like that right. really changed my entire, when I tell you, Jade, I was going to be in front of the White House talking about guess who just got elected. You know, that was my trajectory. I find myself now, I had made a name for myself in sports because there, there was, there were very few black women covering sports when I got right. in the game and I got put on the highest. I went to the destination place after I left tennis channel. I'm at ESPN. I'm on the the, the highest rated show in the network mm-hmm. with the two biggest personalities still to this day in sports. Right. These guys are. And I'm like, wow, could you imagine if I never said mother psycho where I'd be? Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I mean, I just think it's such an important story. It's such a perfect story. And, and your memoir will be titled Mother Sucker because it's just, yes, I'm dead ass. <laughs> yeah. That is like for real. And and I think a lot of people are afraid of the pivot. But when it's like the only choice you have, you know, you just got to put one foot in front of the other. You know, it was the only choice I had. I had no choice. I When I explained to people. I was, I, I say this, and this is about keeping up appearances. I had just moved back from Atlanta. I had no job. I was telling people I was going to have a job, but I didn't. I had, I was, I was finally making decent money. At least I thought it was decent money, but it was no money. Now that I think about it, I had bought this very expensive convertible. I could barely afford it. I was in debt up to my ears. Bill collectors were calling me nonstop and I'm, oh. I'm selling, I'm selling coupons, you know, right. I'm I, like, I can't even afford to pay my bills. Right. And I was like, if I am not at my lowest right now, like if I am just not at my lowest, if I can't pick myself up from this, I can't make it. And I, and I had to, I had to, I had to dig deep, but I had to stay, to stay so humble and so Mm -hmm. focused. And it was the best thing ever because, you know, it really did, it really did help my spirit and, and, and gave me a more realistic perspective of what matters and who matters. Right. So I want to get into ESPN because what a jumping off point. I mean, like right after you feel like you've just been brought to your knees, you know, but I want to know, like, what were friendships like during that time that you hit rock bottom, so to speak, in your own mind? Like, did your friendships withstand that time or did all your priorities change? Because you probably changed so much. The people who've been in my life since college, I think that's where you really make most of your friends. A lot of people say, I don't want to go to college. I get it. But I do believe I made all my friends in college. You make all your lifelong friends in college. And I say that and they were all there for me. People who I really, really loved and people who saw me at my worst were, were still friends to this day. And they all just supported me to this day. I think about my best friend. She was working and she was doing really well. And she literally would take me everywhere with her and promote me. She was, a, mm-hmm. at the time, she was a casting director and she would always try to get me work and she would always, you know, she knew I had no money. She would always try to find out if I was, you know, hungry or how can yeah. I help you? Like, she just always supported what an me. And friend. She, to this day, to this day, I, she, she, ta- she's taught me how to be a really good friend, speaking mm-hmm. of what you learn. And, and she's never not believed in me. So when I get to ESPN and I have this career, She's all like, I'm not surprised. And all the things we visualized that we would have when we were kids and I started to have them. She was like, yeah, no, I've, I've seen, I saw that coming. And I, I say this with as much humility as I possibly can say, I'm glad I was fired because the business hasn't changed me. Attention hasn't changed me. Access or resources hasn't changed me because I know it can be taken away. And I always get sad when I see people change with a little bit of notoriety or fame. It, it really breaks my heart. And being from LA, we see it all the time, don't we? God, it's, it's so disturbing because you're just like, who is around you not totally. pulling your coattails saying, get your shit together? Totally. Ma'am it or sir. <laughs> it happens more often than not. You know, you know, you, you probably see it way more than oh, I do. Oh, it's crazy. Sometimes I meet people and I'm like, why the hell are you famous? Like, why does anyone like you in the first place? How? How did that happen? No, but so when you were at ESPN, can you tell me about that experience as a black woman? It was hard. Did you have anyone to look to as like your point of reference or representation? Like, did you know anyone? Well, I came in with the this tough girl shell, which I which I still have, but it's only because I'm trying to protect myself and my Mm -hmm. feelings. And Jamel Hill was the one who reached out to me, and she was like, "Hey." Hey friend, we're friends. And I was like, no, we're not. Like she tells this great story of how she emailed me and I didn't respond for like months. Well, 
not only did I not respond for months, Jade, it was because I didn't know how to work the email system when I first got there. That's the first thing. <laughs> it wasn't on purpose. I just couldn't work the goddamn email. Okay. And then this, but, but I didn't want to be her friend either. I had, I had to win in, like, let's just be honest. I went in with like, let me do these two years. I, God, I was such an idiot. Again, young. Yeah. Two, I had a two-year contract. Let me get in and get out. I don't want to be here. Everyone just loves ESPN. It was their destination. I was like, no, this is just a stepping stone. I'm going to get back to LA. You know, like, right. let me just get in and get out. We planned. And right. That was, but life happens while yep. we plan. <laughs> yes. You know, God laughed at my plan. Exactly. It was like, you're so cute, young lady. Two years. You're eight so cute. Years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eight years later. <laughs> ba bum pa. Yeah. But the whole time I was there, the first the first year was really hard. Like it was really hard. It was it was my rookie season. Ask any rookie who plays in any sport. Your rookie season is hard, especially when the vets don't want to let you in or don't respect you. Or and I was just different. I had no friends. Jamel loves to tell the story. She's like, no one liked you. I was like, I know. <laughs> she doesn't have to tell me that. I know. Did everyone love her? Was that was there? Yes. Like, oh, okay. They loved to this day, right? <laughs> and it's not so much that they don't like me, but I don't. I, I think what I look like gets in the way. I think that mm -hmm. um, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I'm very yeah. comfortable wearing high heels and little dresses, but like, I'm good. I look good. Sure. Right. Yeah. You know, like, but that is a no-no in sports or it was a okay. no-no in sports. Women would go in and wear suits and try to be the guys. Jamel used to wear jerseys, big, big jerseys on air. Wow. And I'm like, it's okay. You're like, who are you trying to trick? Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> no one will admit this. But when I got there, they used to be like, she dresses like this. And then slowly but surely the women caught on. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, I don't want to say anything. But <laughs> I, I was like, I'm coming from this big ass city. My mom, when I was a kid, would always dress beautiful. My mother always liked to look dressed. All this to me is normal. I wasn't pretending totally. makeup, hair, unit. Yes. Like, all this is just what I was. I was like, yeah, no, I was like this. And ask anybody in college. I was always, I was walking down Bourne Walk with high heels on. And they're like, where the fuck is she going? <laughs> <laughs> to class. Thank you. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think a lot of people didn't like that or my confidence and they didn't think I was I was smart or good because in the world of sports you can be you can be smart and not attractive or you can be pretty and not smart they always will put you in a box none of none of them can coexist now it coexists all the time so she really helped me get over a lot. I mean, but it was hard. My first, my, my, my freshman year there was very difficult. And many people will tell you it's hard to survive that place without um, support. And she was my support. And I'm glad that I got over myself and let her be my friend. Cause I went in like yeah. no new friends before Drake even had it. You know what I mean? Right. And I was, I was so, I was so glad that, you know, I, I got over my ego and myself and, and she came into my life and she really, um, softened the landing, if you will. And the more, she, and this place is so, so clicky, the more she embraced me, other people would be like, I guess she, but she would tell me all the time. People would call her and be like, is she nice? She seemed like she oh, got Oh, I got to get the dirt. <laughs> yeah, right. Or do you really like her? She don't seem that smart. And she's like, she, why? She's like, I don't know why they hate you. You tell me. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that kind of brings up a bigger issue, like, or something that I want to ask you about. Do you think that there were any intentions of those people to kind of rip you guys apart in a way because yes. I would imagine that I see it with women all the time and I would imagine it's only heightened with black women or you know just when there's race involved because it's like you think there's only room for one first of all you're wise beyond your years and Thank yes you. and and that is that is exactly what happened and I remember and this is when social media was at its height for us and people would always just on Facebook and Twitter and say, I hate Carrie. I hope Jamel gets the job. I hate that Carrie got the job or would just trash me in comparison. And I remember like it was yesterday, Jamel like retweeted and, and she said, Carrie is my friend and I will never not like her. And if you feel like you want to see us compete, you found the wrong friendship. Wow. And from that moment on, and the girl was, she, it was a, it was a young girl and she shut her down. She shut her ass all the way down. And, wow. and she was like, whenever someone would ever talk shit about me, she would make sure that if she saw it or had the time, she would change that narrative. She single-handedly changed the narrative of her and I competing. And then it's so beautiful. And then we would just hang out together all the time because it was just us. We were living there together, bored, and we would always take trips together. Then all of a sudden it went from competition to she's my best friend, you know? And we shut those people down because they were ready to make us fight. And, you yeah. know, in a world where there can only be one, especially when you're a minority, right. a company like ESPN is like, hey, I got one spot for one woman. Mm -hmm. Way to 
way to promote sisterhood or create sisterhood. One spot for one woman doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? And like what a missed opportunity it would have been, like what a missed friendship had you not. Yeah. Had I believed in that. Yeah. You were probably able to rely on each other and like relate. And it's that would have been such a shame if it had gone the opposite way. To this day, uh, we have a show together. We have a TV show together. That's the that's the funny thing. Like we endured all the bullshit that we had to deal with at ESPN. and, And she left for her own reasons. And I I left because I was. I was tired of being afraid. I think Mm -hmm. because it's such a destination place in theory, once I got in and I, and I, and I understood how the machine worked and I could make the machine work for me and I had attention and I had platform and I had access, it was really hard to, it's a hard place to walk away from. It really is. It's, it's like, it's literally, I feel like it's mafia. Once you're in, you're just like, "Mm." they can, they can do anything to you and you don't leave. And I had to leave if not just for my own sanity, I had to leave because what I like to do for a living, the telling stories, meeting people, doing this. Like if I still worked at ESPN, I don't think I could be as honest with you on your podcast right now. And I wasn't being my true self. And I got tired. I was exhausted. It's exhausted. It's exhausting to play a game. Just being censored is so exhausting. It was, it's exhausting. And, and I go back to when you asked me how I was as a kid, like, I like to ask a lot of questions and then I like yeah. to figure it out and I like to go deep. So I wasn't able to do any of those things. All the things that made me who I was, um, I compromised in some in some areas mm-hmm. for fame, for attention, for money, for access, for the job. And it was a slow struggle, a slow pull, but I finally got bold enough to jump. And people were like, right. well, you got fired. I was like, I didn't get fired. In fact, I had just signed a contract, Jade. I had signed a contract in October of 2019. And I left in January of 2020, just before the world shut down, the January 31st, just before the world shut down, I left. And it was scary because I was like, I don't know, this is my adult life. All of my career has been here. I've been Carrie from ESPN, you know, (laughs) so uh, back to the title, right? You're like, well, people answer my emails. Who likes me? Do they still respect me? Am I worthy in this business? And, but that is, God, this is so full circle. That is why I was like, I have to just rely on who I am. If you didn't, if you didn't fool with me, just if you only liked me because I had four letters behind my name, I can't be with you when yes. this next level of greatness happens. Yes. When this next, when this next jump occurs, you're going to be on the outside looking in because I'm going to remember yes. now. And, and I, and I say that with all humility, but it's happening, right? Oh, it's, it's absolutely. Happening. We're watching it. And, and yeah. And you like, either you come or you don't, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was a tough lesson. And I hope, I hope that it encourages people. It takes a lot of intestinal fortitude to just to, to abandon what people, what people think is mm. great. Right. Mm, totally. And defend your choice. And defend my choice and politely ether a company that is bigger than you. And, but trust me, we laugh because I just went to a WNBA game uh, the other day and it was on ESPN and I coach Mel, do you think I'm courtside? Do you think they're going to show me? She's like, yeah, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) It's our running joke because we know that I'm like a thorn. Like I'm a thorn and we both are, but not in a bad way, but we are uh, like, we, we, we thumbed our nose at the system. We said, okay, bye-bye. And most people will leave there and you're like, where are they now? And I don't think like I'm, you know, hella famous or known, but I am making my presence known in a way in which I am unapologetic about where I came from. And that was great. And thank you. And that might be the biggest platform I've ever had, but I am doing me, you know? Yes. God damn it. And they don't like it. They don't, because they want you to fail. They want you to go away and fail when you leave. You're not supposed to, are you supposed to be a cautionary tale? You know, like a, a 15 minute, superstar. What do you guys call yes. it? Yes. Like five minutes, minutes of fame or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you're like, where's the, whatever happened to like, they want that. Right. right. They're out for blood. Right. 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 God, but you boy, have you proved them wrong? We both have. And but I you have, and Jamel's yeah. show, it's incredible. You know, we, we literally are so like, uh, I think for me and I, Jamel and I were meeting last night because we're working on a new project that's going to be even more amazing. And we were just saying, this is literally just last night. I said, and we were just like, this is, this is a beautiful space to be in. I'm not a control freak, but I am a control freak, but I am really, (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm really, I'm really excited about having a say in what I do and what I make and, and more than a say, determining, saying yeah. no, no is no Jade is just as powerful as yes. That's so and true. Saying no is a beautiful thing. It's so true. And you finally right? probably trust yourself to make those decisions and to have control now. And even if I don't trust myself, yeah, I, I, you'll figure, figure it out. Shit out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that so much. Well, I know you have to run. I'm going to wrap it up with a, just a couple questions. We're going to take a quick break and then finish up. What's a topic or concept you wish more women, either in your industry or just in general, would be more honest with each other about? Oh, I have two answers to that. Okay. Women in my industry never want to talk about money and what they make. Mm. I have no problem telling someone what I made at what point in my career and what I'm looking to make or what I am asking for or what I am doing. Because I feel like if we don't, if we don't talk about it in a very honest way, I don't have to be, this is the exact amount, but I can say, this is the range you should be looking for because I know they're paying so-and-so this. That's, that's something we just don't do. We don't talk about money. We're afraid to talk about money, which is why money is always in the hands of a man mm -hmm. or our spouse or our significant other. And we let them control it because we just, it just, something about it is taboo. So I wish we talked more about money in my business. Yes. Also in my business, talk about who the fuck you're dating. Like you, <laughs> if you were, if you were a barista at, at Starbucks, you're going to date, you're going to date your guy on, on, on coffee. You're going to date right. the guy on shake. I don't know. I mean, yes. I don't know what that means, yes. but yes. he's on beans. I'm dating I know what me you and mean. my boo on beans, yes. you know, yes. I'm dating, like, or there's a hot guy that comes in every Saturday and his name is Mike. And so I put my phone number on the cup when I give him his coffee and now I'm dating Mike. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So in my business, I was like, I don't date athletes. And I was like, bitch, you know, in the sweetest of ways. <laughs> yes, of course. And I, and I remember I was on Tiffany Haddish's show the other day, name drop, not so name drop. And she <laughs> says to me in the sweetest of ways, she goes, now, have you ever dated an athlete? Yeah. And everything in me wanted to lie, Jade, uh. because I didn't want my <laughs> reputation to be, I, and so I literally, and Chelsea Handler, another name drop sitting yes. right here. I said, girl, Yes. <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. Good. Like, yes. God damn it. But it wasn't because that got me an interview no. or I am, you know, not like promise you. There are women in my business who have married athletes. There are women currently on air who are married to football players, who are married to basketball players, are dating them or dating a coach. And Sometimes it depends on whom you are for them to accept it. But I'm like, let's just normalize the fact that he's a peer and you're dating your peer. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And don't make it don't make it shameful. Like now, if you're hooking up, don't tell nobody that. But if you yeah. are dating, date. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's okay. I don't because I don't believe you when you say you've never dated one of these guys or hung out with one of these. I don't I, I no, do it's not. so true. Everyone's lying. You're a liar. Okay. Do you like dating athletes? No, not anymore. But <laughs> okay. I did though. Can yeah. I say something? Yes. I love I love boy attention because my father wasn't always around. And now that he is, he and I talk about that a lot. And so wow. this so when I get when I did, you used to really enjoy the boy attention at its height. Like Jade, I had my pick of the litter. Booze was after oh. me. I was like, hey, 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 hey. Please. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. That's surprising. I was I was very strategic, thank God. Jamel used to tell me, no, not him. No, not him. Like it was always <laughs> Jamel always Yeah, she was around. She was always, she's my big sister. She was yes. like my angel. And when I did decide to date one in particular, we had a long relationship. It didn't work out, but he was a sweetheart. And he wasn't, it wasn't about how famous he was. It, we, I never compromised. Whenever I had to report on him, I wouldn't report on him. I would say, I can't do the story. And I didn't tell my bosses my business, but I was very clear yeah. that I can't do that. So I think I wish women would normalize being, it's okay to be a woman in this industry. Yes. It's okay to wear makeup. It's okay to be pretty uh. or want to be pretty. It's okay to have feelings. Like It's okay to be a woman mm -hmm. in sports. And I mean a full woman. I don't have to put on a jersey. If that's my thing, that can be my thing. Totally. I just hate when we try to hide our femininity to make others comfortable. Yes. That's not true. It's just not real and it's not honest. Oh my God, I love that so much. Okay. Yeah. Last thing is what's a way in which you're currently working on yourself these days? Oh, oh, that's a great question. I'm doing a lot of things. I'm not big on just talk therapy, but mm -hmm. I do believe that's a compliment. 
but I'm doing therapy. Mm. Uh, I am doing some body work because I do believe that we hold a lot of issues, a lot of problems, a lot of tension in our body. So I do this body work that it's breathing and it's allowing me to release stress, especially in a moment or anxiety. And I have been purposely right now seeking joy and fun, mm. meaning like when I told you I went to the game the other day, I had so much work to do. This is so bad. I had so much work to do. And I blew off my work and just hopped on a flight with my girlfriends to go see some of our friends play in the league. Sometimes and it was you need to. Best 18 hours of my life. Yes. And I'm purposely seeking joy because it makes me feel better, look better, stand better, share better. Everything is better. When you go out and you treat yourself to great experiences and it doesn't have, it doesn't mean you got to hop on a flight to Paris, which I would love, but it can be, it could be something as simple as, you know, walking in your neighborhood for an hour and listening to your favorite podcast, mm -hmm. listening to Jade, you know yes. what I mean? It could be, it could be meeting your girlfriends for a night out, an impromptu night out where you guys are having, you know, in my case, some wine and some giggles. It could be anything, but I'm, I'm purposely seeking that. I love that. Because we need it, especially totally. now in this country where we live. And oh how my God. Live. Boy, yeah. do we ever. Boy, do we ever. All right. That's it. Thank you so Thank much. You. you are a gem. Like you are so unbelievable. I'm so grateful for your time. This Thank was so awesome. Thank you for having me. Sorry, I was so late earlier. No, you're I know. so you good. You guys are so sweet. I learned so much from you. I loved this. Well, so first of all, I want to say this to you. I think that you are far more mature than I ever was at your oh, age. Thank and you. I and the and your listening skill set is amazing. Thank and you I think so that much. whatever you choose to do in this business, I think that you have a very, very bright future, not based on thank you. who you are, but just who you are right here and how God. well you've prepared yourself. So thank you. So Carrie. I'll be looking for you. Thank you, you so oh my God, you made you, my week. When you Barbara Walters me yes. up out of here. I'm like, yeah, oh, right. Girl. Yeah, oh, right. Girl. Oh my God, Put you're the greatest. Your <laughs> you're welcome. So that's it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Carrie. I hope you loved her as much as I did. And as always, I have to beg you guys to please follow, rate, and just write a little review at the bottom of the podcast page. You don't think it makes a difference, but I swear to you, that's what helps us grow around here. So please, please, please do that. And if you do so, just send me a picture of it. You can DM me. I'm at Jade Iovine so I can thank you. I'll see you guys back here same time, same place next week. Bye.